Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there. Thank you for tuning in. It's Josh Carey. You know what it is. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Uh, my guest today, Mark Stinson, who is a, um, by his own words, a brand innovator and workshop facilitator. I like all that. And uh, not too long ago, he released uh, another book, right? This is not your first book. Uh, is that true? Not your that first book. That is right. Book. That's not my first book. I know. Not your first rodeo. This one is called Customer Chemistry. Customer chemistry, and I say it that way because the C H E M in chemistry, customer chemistry, the four elements to create lasting relationships with customers, and lessons I learned from them. The C H E M is the C is to connect with your customers, the H is to do so honestly, the E is to give them an easy path. And the M is to leave them motivated to experience your brand. Who doesn't want all that? So good to have you joining us, Mark. Uh, it's great to be with you, Josh. And so, I tell you, you know, that, that C-H-E-M, you know, it, it, there's a lot of mnemonic devices out there and a lot of acronyms and things. But I tell you, a model like this has helped me so much, you know, because you're, you're, you're preparing for a talk, you're preparing to write a letter, you know, you want to do a PowerPoint. Um, so as simple as it sounds. It's just nice to have that in your tool bag to say, you know, how do I structure this? So that's I love why that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So a um, great word, by the way, mnemonic device, right? What is that? That's how do we define what that is? Well, I, you know, mnemonic device being one that uh, helps you recall. There you go. You know, it's it's not just a, a memory thing, but it's like later on you got to recall it. So uh, people say, you know, what are the Great Lakes? It's hard to remember all the names, but if you have a mnemonic device like H-O-M-E-S, oh, then you right. can remember that it's Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. Uh, so, so you created, so you wrote this book, Customer Chemistry, which is all, in fact, about creating chemistry with your customers, right? So yes. did you sort of have to, like, what came first, right? The chicken or the egg? You, you came up with the title chemistry, and then you extracted what could be the mnemonic device? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, coming up with a model of communication and relationship building, you know, over the maybe uh, the decades of my career. But uh, really, the lesson learned part in the book 
is to look back and say, how did that model serve me? And it's like, well, uh, you know, I have good relationships. How were they built? You know, what went right? What went wrong? There's plenty of stories in the book about, uh, you know, relationships that might have been. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's another, uh, another story. But, you know, how, they, how the model really served to uh, help me build relationships. And I thought if I could share that with readers, then they could also, uh, especially entrepreneurs like listeners of your show, you know, how do I capitalize, not leverage in a bad way, but how do I build upon the relationships I've built over my career. I want to talk more about the specifics of the book in a moment, but you are, in fact, a PodMax Global alumni. You've been through the ringer with us. And uh, how was that experience? What's come of it? Well, it's a terrific experience. And I mean, first of all, the experience word uh, in PodMax, you get a lot of experience being, you know, on both sides of the microphone and uh, being a good guest, being a good host, uh, being, and I thought I learned a lot about uh, the things around the podcast, how to treat the guests before, during, and after the show, uh, how to maybe uh, publicize and market the podcast better. Um, and uh, met a lot of good, great people, some of them who've been coaching me on you know, how to get a better platform and how to record better and maybe make life a little bit easier for both the guest and the podcaster, uh, my, my co-host and I. Because you are both, both, in fact, you are. Yes, yes, you have your own show. yes. Uh, my co-host Kirsten Gouldy and I started a podcast. Uh, oh gosh, uh, maybe five, six months ago, called Intelliki Leadership Stories, and uh, we interview leaders who are sort of more conscious leaders, a little higher purpose, not just presidents of companies, but people who are trying to grow their business or their uh, nonprofit in a conscious way. Why is but, that? Uh, why is that word exciting for you to focus on? Intelliki or consciously? No, I'm sorry. Just, just the uh, the idea of, of conscious leaders. Yeah, but, well, I think uh, it's easy to have leaders who say, I've built profitable companies or I've built uh, you know, my company from the ground up and I sold it for 18 times more than I you know, could have. And uh, I was listening to another episode where a guy bought a Lamborghini and that's all fine. Um, but I'm saying that there could be other things too, and whether that's environmental purposes. Uh, we interviewed a guest recently that runs a, an organization called She E O S H E O, and um, it's it's women entrepreneurs and it's uh, young women who are starting companies and building companies that have a social impact, and they fund them and you know that sort of thing. Why is so that I, important to you? Well, I think we, to leave the world a better place than it is now. I mean, I've seen plenty of uh, successful business people, but could you have that exponential, that added dimension of also making a positive impact, uh, maybe A, on the planet or B, on the people of the planet? <laughs> you know, uh, it's not enough to say, can't we all get along right now? I mean, in this uh, social environment, uh, whether it be pandemics or social justice or all the other issues we're facing, um, the, the human relation is a lot more important. And I just find that that conscious leadership element uh, takes the people part uh, a lot higher. I'm, I'm right there with you. I find myself as a people person. I love people. I love being among people. I love watching people and engaging with people. Uh, I, I think that it took me some time in my life to find my way after stumbling, even having that desire. So I'm right there with you today. 
were you always conscious and aware of that being of the universe and in and of the world to really want to focus on that today? Oh, I, I doubt it. And I think if I reflect back, I mean, uh, I'm sure people think I'm an extroverted person, life of the party, uh, you know, uh, Myers-Briggs, ENTJ, let's get out there and make things happen. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, you know, standing up in front of a room with a, a marker at a whiteboard or a flip chart, that's a facilitation exercise. That's different than, you know, I, I have found myself and I was laughing with my wife even this morning, you know, are there times where, you know, I, yeah, I just want to be by myself. Oh my God, what are all these people? Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't life and business be easier without the people? You know, there's the clients, there's the employees, there's the contractors, there's the landlords. I mean, what's what's with all the people? Um, <laughs> but I think what I'm saying is that over time, I guess I have developed this awareness that the impact on people's lives. I mean, for example, I think even in the book, I, I tell a story of, you know, why why would people or clients even or, you know, employees come to my desk, you know, and they're their eyes are teared up. You know, they're emotional about some issue that they're facing. And I would say to myself, this can't possibly be about the work, you know, or what Johnny said to me at my desk or across the cubicle or what have you. And so what else is going on? You know, there's something going on at home. Or there's something going on with their kids or there's something else happening. And I just, you know, what, over time, your radar gets a little wider, it gets a little keener, and you realize there's just a lot more going on than the work. And uh, that's that's maybe when my eyes, and now, uh, now that I'm uh, more seasoned in my career, we'll put it like that. <laughs> but also, you know, when you have grandkids, you start thinking about, okay, what kind of world are we leaving? And uh, that that's maybe also where the conscious leadership comes in. So you you love to connect with people. And you almost, um, you have that specialty, which is really, isn't that what you're saying customer chemistry is about? One of the things I love that you wrote uh, in, in regards to the book is you say customer chemistry can be gauged by the laws of thermodynamics because they are created with energy and they release energy. Explain that, please. Yeah, well, I think the chemistry side of it, uh, the idea comes from my background in working with uh, biotech companies, pharmaceutical oh. companies that are really synthesizing you know, drug products or you know, medical products. And uh, I, I took this idea and said, you know, when you really think about it, you know, you're not building a relationship as in constructing it, you know, wood, nails, you know, that sort of thing. But rather, because of this energy you just mentioned, you know, like a chemical reaction, it's being synthesized and catalyzed and metabolized. I mean, think about these laboratory type words, right? And it's when the energy and chemistry of people come together that I think the relationships are really built. And all of that energy is not positive. Remember, we have positive ions and negative ions. I mean, so there's positive experiences that build a great relationship, but also you can look back and say, remember that day where we really had it out, where we really had a breakdown, where it really wasn't working, you know, and we pulled through it, we worked it out, or we compromised, or we collaborated. Uh, we came to a consensus and and we were able to move on. So it's it's that 
chemistry that I'm talking about in the book that uh, really, I feel, uh, helps create these relationships. What can we consciously do then as people going into a, a meeting, a relationship with somebody to, to be our best, to give our best, to put our best foot forward? Is there mm-hmm. something we can do or is it all just in retrospect, what worked, what didn't? Yeah, no, I think in retrospect is what tells you what could work, you know, prospectively. So you would say, and as simple as it sounds, and I'll try to break it down a little bit, but the number one thing would be listening. And if, uh, in fact, on our podcast a few weeks ago, we interviewed one of the top salespeople in a telecommunications company. And she said she credits her sales not on how do I deliver the features and benefits and so forth, but how do I listen? How do I ask questions? How do I probe the situation? How do I get in there and do you know, the detective work that needs to be done on what problems need to be solved? And so if you say, you know, what is the number one thing? Uh, wouldn't you like to be known as a good listener? And again, I, I don't declare myself a gold win- medal winner in listening all the time. Uh, we all can do better. But to say that it's on your mind and you're really thinking about how do I listen better? And that could be through eye contact. That could be, like I said, asking questions, observing. You know, I I tell a story in the book. You want to get to know somebody, you, you know, look across their desk. What pictures do they have on their desk? What pictures do they have on the wall? Wow, you must be really proud of that sailboat. You've got a 16 by 24, you know, photograph of it on the back of your wall. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't take anybody to be really that perceptive to see this boat on the wall. So it's that kind of thing. What's really interesting to the customer, not just what's, you know, on your mind selling the uh, bullet points of your product. Speaking about observing, uh, for those not uh, visually tuning in, maybe you're just catching the audio, in back of you, Mark, you have uh, a landscape. And we were, right before we went on the air, we we were talking about it. Tell me what that is a picture of. Yeah, this is a picture of the mountains outside of Sapa. And Sapa is a town uh, probably two or three hours uh, northwest of Hanoi, North Vietnam. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a farm. It's a rice paddy. It's, you know, fields uh, in the wintertime of uh, North Vietnam. I had a chance to uh, travel over to Vietnam uh, right before Christmas of 2019. Uh, fantastic adventure, you know, and it was literally the trains, planes, and automobiles. Uh, and th- thanks to my son who's working over there as a uh, teacher uh, in Thailand, but we met in Vietnam, wow. traveled all over the country. Uh, really, and, and in this backdrop, you're talking about it, really talking about human uh, relations and chemistry. You know, this was a chance to get with the locals. You know, we took a trail hike of uh, about a day and a half. We were with locals. We were with the uh, Hmong uh, tribes that have lived there for, you know, thousands of years. And they were telling us not only about certain, uh, the scenery, of course, but the history and the culture uh, of this part of the country. Yeah, and just fascinating. And then we had a, a communal dinner and we stayed at a hostel and, you know, all the things that I had never done in my in my traveling career. Yeah, I, right. I, yeah I, I'm more of the uh, four-star hotel type, but <laughs> it was really a great chance to, you know, ride the trains, ride the buses, uh, you know, cross the busy streets and uh, that sort of thing. It was just a great adventure. It sounds like you're very, I don't even know the right words, maybe worldly, 
well-traveled, which may be the case now or just in that one incident? No, I've, I've had a chance to travel quite a bit, all literally all over the world. And uh, mostly, and that's why I say four-star hotel type of guy, you know, I have the benefit of uh, traveling with clients a lot. And, uh, you know, those, whether it be conferences or client meetings, uh, taking me really all over Europe and Asia and uh, most most everywhere. And, um, but, uh, but I've always been in that sort of meeting environment. You know, and this was a real chance to get off the beaten path. How how do you think, looking back, that that shapes a person? Is that as is that important? Like, if you can swing it, if you get the opportunity, you should. Oh my god! Well, explore absolutely. Travel. Yeah, and and uh, it's kind of a soapbox uh, moment here, but uh, yeah. you know, we we are in a smaller and smaller world, clearly. Uh, social media, the internet, you know, everything is totally contracted and our, our ability to communicate across borders. And yet, don't we find that these are the most critical issues of the day is really reaching out and, and crossing those borders? Um, so I say, you know, it, it ought to be mandatory <laughs> that, you know, you get a passport and you get out of your zip code. Um, you know, Go, go visit another country because I can guarantee you uh, the people of any given country are not the ones that you see on the news. They're not the political leaders. They're, you know, that sort of thing. And so when you go to Dubai, then yes, look at the big buildings, but go to the market, hang out with the people. You know, when you go to Brazil, you know, go to somebody's house, go to their workplace, go to the bakery where they have the coffee and, you know, stop thinking about, didn't I read that a lot of people get kidnapped? You know, there it's like, come on, okay, enough of that. And so when you, when you go, and so when you go to Vietnam, and I might not have done this if I was just on the average business trip, but when you go to a place like that, you know, get out of the hotel, go go be with the people, and uh, you know, now did I take the double decker bus tour with all the other tourists? You bet I did. But I also, you know, you get a uh, a foot massage on the sidewalk, you know, of Hoi An. And uh, you do a lot of people watching and you have a lot of fun. What does that go for? What kind of dollar are you shelling out for a foot massage? Oh, it's nothing, nothing. (laughs) What do you mean nothing? No, it's, uh, I think, uh, I think it was $12, $6, $10. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's one of the more off the top of your head? What's one of the more uh, crazy things that with that attitude, with that well-traveled that you found yourself in? Well, Usually it has to do with food, you know, and uh, I, in fact, I never was a big uh, fan of uh, Anthony Bourdain. But the, again, you, the more you travel, the more you say, oh, I think he had some pretty good <laughs> approaches to life. And so, uh, you know, to have the big giant, I mean, giant buffet dinner in Hong Kong where the, the lazy Susan, the wheel oh. of food is going around, you know, and there's 12 of you sitting around the table just, you know, sampling everything. Uh, and then to, to go to a sidewalk restaurant uh, in Hanoi and say, I wouldn't have even looked inside this door. You know, why, why this one sidewalk cafe and not the next 400? You know, because they're everywhere. But, uh, you know, to sit on a, a small stool and uh, eat some just, again, food you might not have otherwise even imagined yourself eating. How do you find yourself? Because I, I see an analogy to making the right choices in everyday life where you're there and you find yourself in a 
wow, I, I, my life took me to this very moment, to this cafe, to this point in time that is like, how magnificent. Yes. Because I was able to go with it or, or be open or just say yes. Or what's the analogy here? What's happening? And, and you almost have to push. You know, some people do it naturally, you know. Uh, but to, to say there are no coincidences you know, is easy to say, and it makes a great little wall, you know, hanging. But uh, to, to do it in daily life is to say, I'm walking down the street. I saw somebody in New York City I had not seen in five years. She didn't really recognize me. I wasn't sure what her last name was, you know, but it was a coincidence. And you say, Kelly, what have you been up to? You know, and it was one of those moments. Um, but I think, you know, as it relates to experiences or food or, you know, I saw somebody. I, I just, you have to be so in tuned and aware that those coincidences will come up and those opportunities to take a, a left-hand turn instead of a right-hand turn. And again, don't get me wrong, you know, people who know me who might be listening to this program are like, Mark, you'd be dr driving yourself crazy if you took a left turn and it should have been right. So that's why I'm going, well, then make it so. Well, we took a left turn. We might as well make the most of it. So <laughs> take a breath and enjoy the ride. I, I, I totally agree with the idea that um, it's all about taking action in some direction of the path you want to go and then keeping your eyes open for opportunity because the more action you take, the more lefts and the more rights and the more straights, you'll, you'll find the opportunity. Yeah. And they just won't throw you as much. I mean, I, again, we go back to this business and life, you know, kind of combination. But a lot of people get thrown like, oh, my gosh, I'm on the wrong track. I got to get up. You know, I met the wrong person. This meeting went awful. Um, I should have made 10 more calls today. I mean, yeah, they really get off track. And to say, hey, we're going to make the most of it. And like, I, I really like what you said. The more action you take, you know, the more opportunities that are going to come. When and, every were, and every now and then there's just going to be happy coincidences. So take them too. Exactly. You were talking about your um, years of being well-traveled was with clients and whatnot. What were you, what was the work there that you were doing? Uh, mostly uh, workshop facilitation. Uh, uh, two, two kinds of workshops, I would say. One is, uh, you know, with the client team, strategizing, creating, you know, brand positioning, uh, creating, you know, brands and messages. The other would have been listening, market research type forums, where you have customers in a room and you're gathering facts and you're understanding uh, what the customer needs are and what some of the issues are. And for our clients, that was mainly physicians, you know, specialists, surgeons, things like that, as well as patients. Um, so we would often convene patients and ask about their life journey and their disease uh, treatments and, you know, what they would see for future treatments. I missed the connection here. So you worked a uh, workshop facilitator, fine, uh, brand innovator and creator. How were you doing that for physicians and or patients? Yeah, so the, if the clients, for example, were pharmaceutical companies, uh, biotech, uh, device manufacturers, these are most of the clients I've worked with, um, they, their customers, of course, for the drugs, for the devices, for the surgical techniques would be physicians. Oh, I see. And then, of course, the end customer is the patient. Your, your 
company is Bioscience Bridge. So it has the word science right there. But even if not, everything you're about and talking about has this scientific approach. Why is that? Where'd that come from? You know, and I wouldn't say that I grew up as a a scientist. You know, I probably was a C student in chemistry and uh, (laughs) biology. So, uh, but but the the appreciation of it, you know, and the the growth in that. But I always felt like uh, this idea of biology and science and chemistry, you know, they are at the essence of everything we do. So I always tried to boil it down. It's like, isn't there some sort of principle? you know, and essential elements uh, underneath whatever we're doing. And that uh, was my interest in both, you know, bio and science. And then uh, the bridge part of the name is really this idea of strategy of going from where we are to where we want to be and crossing this bridge, you know, um, to get to the other side of some better future, some better uh, either treatment or better position or better life, you know, for ourselves. I love that. What really are we saying when you say um, science? I don't know if you said these words, but what I'm hearing is science really is at the core of who we are as people, who we are as beings, a big part of human nature. What do we break that down for us for the layman? How how and what is that really meaning? How does science play a part in everything we do that we might not even be aware of? Sure. I I guess I would say that even, for example, we've been talking about conscious leadership. We've been talking about listening. We've been talking about, you know, life improvements and goal setting and all the things, risk taking. If you just keep saying why, you know, ask why, like a five-year-old, why is that? Why is that? And keep digging. There, There is going to be a a genetic, a scientific, uh, you know, a drive that we have as a species even, you know, that says we as human beings are driven to explore, to discover, you know, to ask more questions. I really, I really do believe that. So to say that, uh, for example, someone has a real good intuition, you know, uh, an ability to make good gut decisions. Well, there's scientific basis for that. You know, that there is a heart, brain, gut connection, that all the nerves and that sort of thing uh, allow the brain and the heart and the gut to communicate. And so if you say, I just have a feeling in my gut, well, that, that's probably a biological response, and you should listen to it. So I'm, I'm kind of going around uh, a lot around your question. But uh, I, I think you can find a scientific basis for most all of the things that, that often we see as uh, maybe intuitive or maybe emotional or maybe even woo-woo, you know, but there is a scientific basis for it. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So are, they, are, are those emotional and um, spiritual aspects a different side of the same coin or are they in stark contrast or what our thoughts, our instincts, our reasoning, our uh, need to explore and discover. But then we also talk about the spiritual side of things and the emotional side and um, the being conscious of things side. Yes. Are those 
the same same side, a different side of the same coin, or are they in contrast of each oh, other? I, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, no, I don't think they're in conflict. That's for sure. And I think there's there's almost a yin and a yang to it. Um, you were talking about you know the more action you take, the more opportunities you might get. Well, sure. there you go. If you wait for opportunity, what what is it that they say? You know, opportunity will knock. Well, you know, if you're not at home and you're not listening for the doorbell, you're going to miss it. You know, there are two sides of this coin, but I don't think they're in conflict and they're not mutually exclusive. So, you know, the the idea that we have uh, an emotional response to something as well as an intellectual response, that, that we should serve both. We should be aware of both. We should take both into consideration. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. It's fascinating you mentioned that you were a C student of, of science. Um, what was life like growing up for a young Mark Stinson? Wow. Now I've got to work on another book, the, the memoir. <laughs> no, you know what? I was uh, really encouraged by my parents to be creative. You know, uh, I was the guy who was making uh, some probably uh, pretty creative, you know, uh, science fair projects or social mm-hmm. studies projects. Uh, I like to dress up as the characters, uh, you know, like uh, Thomas Jefferson giving a speech in social studies class or in history class. I really enjoyed history. I, I enjoyed uh, the English classes. I was on the debate team. I was in student council. Uh, I, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. D- the debate team experience, I think, shaped me a lot more than maybe I appreciated then. I think I was on the debate team in high school, two or three years, and in uh, college, one year. How so? The the rigor of having to research the topic. You know, you couldn't just say, uh, here's a topic. You know, even back then, this is uh, one of the topics was we should have direct election of the president. No electoral college, no primaries, just one day, open up the polls, whoever wins, wins. And it's like, okay, what are the pros and cons of that? And here we are in in 2020. And uh, But if you just ask that question, you know, at the bar, you know, we ought to just have direct approach. And then everybody's going to go, yeah, yeah, and here's what I think. And it's all opinion. But the, but the rigor of having to know the history or to know the laws and to know what other countries, how their elections work and, you know, and know both sides of the argument. Even to this day, I have fun with people. It's like, I don't know what I, I, don't know what I agree with or not, but I will debate either side because you can, you know, because <laughs> that was part of the training in, on the d- debate squad. 
So uh, that was part of the growing up that I really enjoyed. Did I hear you correctly when you said you were supported creatively by your parents? Oh, sure. And there was definitely, you know, in my house, it was uh, you can be anything you want to be kind of attitude. But it was all, yeah, it was also, uh, you know, hey, if you're going to do it, uh, you know, why don't you have a little fun with it? Or, you know, I I have a distinct memory of uh, having a little art show in my garage to raise money for, you know, the MDA telethon. I remember, uh, you know, making little models and I were make. well, I was talking about student council. I would make my own little stickers and posters and banners and things for the student council elections. So it was really an encouragement to be creative and express yourself in more than just, you know, hey, learn how to write, learn how to have a little uh, artistic eye. We went to lots of museums. We and, and maybe this world trip, you know, we took a lot of vacations and they weren't always exotic, but they were always, uh, let's say, uh, fodder for a lot of great stories. Uh, <laughs> Where did you grow up? Our family in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay. Yeah. And we took a lot of, you know, trailer uh, camping trips and uh, cross country drives in the station wagon. And so I I was exposed to a lot of things growing up. You have siblings? I have one brother. Okay. And what did your parents do for work growing up? Uh, My mom uh, stayed at home a lot uh, and was raising us, but uh, then she took a job as a uh, executive assistant and in fact was a uh, president of a local uh, chapter of a professional secretary society, you know, administrative professionals. Wow. Uh, my my dad started uh, his career as a draftsman, you know, the drawing the blueprints on the big drafting table sure. with the T-square and stuff. But then uh, in the early 70s, saw this thing called computers as a big trend and totally switched careers, took all these computer classes and uh, became the guy doing all the punch cards. And, you know, you see in all the movies, the computer with the big tapes uh, turning back and forth. He was mm. at that era of the computer. But again, I think about that even as uh, as an influence on my life and career. And that is, you know, were, were you willing to see the next thing the next career, you probably could have been happy doing a drafting job. You were probably good at it, you know, and whatever. But you said, no, this is going to be the next thing and I want to be a part of it. And was, uh, yeah. Yeah. was there any sort of tension or conflict as a child growing up? Oh, sure. And, and part of that was, you know, the uh, the ego of a teenager, that's for sure, you know. And But uh, the other side of this uh, being a debate mentality, you know, there were a lot of arguments. It's like, no, I think this, no, I think that. Uh, but I, it, nothing, you know, traumatic or, you know, wow. I don't have any of those memories some people do of, you know, going head to head and fist to fist. But wow. uh, yeah, so it what was did, all, yeah. I think, good conflict. What did you aspire to be as a, as a teen and young adult? Yeah, I think uh, when I was maybe 18 or 20, I probably envisioned myself being a U.S. senator. Uh, wouldn't that be a crazy uh, thing to be right now? Uh, I probably <laughs> took the right career path not doing that as I reflect on it. But I always thought that was the greatest job ever. There's only like 50 of them, you know, and uh, if you could be a U.S. senator, you got it made. But uh, no, so I, uh, but right off the bat, I uh, got into radio, uh, but I love media, but I got a, my first job was at an ad agency and I stayed in ad agencies and 
related type businesses my whole career. I just got the bug and that's what I like to do. The, the U.S. Senator deal is uh, very interesting. <laughs> First of all, it's, it's so specific. It is, like, isn't like it? Like not a governor, no. not a... Not a I just, not, not I want to be in politics. There was right. no general. It was right. The U.S. Senator. <laughs> Why? What was the draw? I, like I said, number one, there's only 50 of them. So it's a really exclusive club. And I would say, you know, again, uh, as I think about the influences growing up, and again, we won't get into current politics too much, except to contrast the statesman-like quality of senators, at least that I recall. So you can agree or disagree with the politics of a Ted Kennedy, sure. you know, or a uh, Frank Church you know, I live in Idaho now, so Senator Frank Church is sort of a historic figure in our state because he was just so good and so, you know, statesman-like. And I just thought, you know, those are the guys who really, uh, and at those time, at that time, that was the guys only. But, uh, you know, it's, I just thought that they, they had the right idea of, yeah, they care for the country. They've got high policy-minded decisions to make. And, uh, and it'd be a great job. I like that you said, quote, it was an exclusive club. There's importance or was importance to that positioning for you? Oh, I think so. And I think, and again, if you translate that to some brand work, we often do, you know, if you can be the first and only, if you can be the, you know, part of an exclusive uh, collection, then, you know, that's a place to be. Wow. Let's, let's go down that path for a moment. Yeah. So for, for the entrepreneur listening, we should, we should start or hope to add some element of exclusivity in one way or another and find how we could tease it out even more from what we're already working with. Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, it just shift my mind uh, here a bit from uh, the Senate to entrepreneurs. <laughs> but, you know, definitely when I meet with entrepreneurs, uh, undoubtedly, the conversation goes to, are you the only anything? Are you the exclusive anything? Are you the first to do something? And if not, okay, but then let's at least drill down on how are you different? You know, there must be some kind of difference uh, for an entrepreneur to be successful. Uh, you can be one of many. And you'll probably get, you know, your fair share of the market and that's all good. And if that's what you want, that's fine. But if you, and that's part of this Kim uh, uh, acronym is the easy part. You say, what is it that I do? How does it work? And how do I use it? And then you immediately get to how is it different? And then how is that difference meaningful to the customer? How is it relevant, you know, to their life and to their business? Um, and so I challenge entrepreneurs a lot uh, and of all I mean, big companies, small companies, uh, new brands, old brands. How are you different? And uh, that difference will will ultimately lead you to some things and some decisions, um, whether they be marketing decisions, manufacturing decisions, pricing decisions that you wouldn't make otherwise. That exercise certainly vitally important hopefully near the beginning of your journey. But if you haven't identified that, it's really a must to identify 
a differentiating factor because chances are more often than not, you're going to do something even slightly similar to what somebody else does, if not many overlapping similar qualities and traits. So it's why you, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that the same thing? Why should somebody buy from you over anybody else? Yeah. And and uh, undoubtedly, uh, entrepreneurs will say to me, uh, "Well, it's because of our commitment to quality. Huh. It's because you know uh, we can do it faster, cheaper. You know, uh, these faster, cheaper, you know, quality, um, they're soft. Yeah. You know, and they sound like, oh, well, I will always be the cheapest. Well, not necessarily. So." You know, Walmart can be replaced by Amazon and then Amazon will be replaced by somebody else. And then, you know, we can all go back to the A&P stores of the 1950s when they were cheaper, faster, easier. Uh, well, where are they today? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you help them how? Sort of in part discover that differentiating factor? Yes, yes. And there was a brand a few years back. You might remember the uh, the brand Nuprin. All it was was ibuprofen, but it was a uh, small. And their their whole position was it's little and it's yellow. It's like, well, yellow. Okay, well, that at least you can remember it. But uh, it was the smallest pill, and it was coated. So what does that mean? You know, I didn't say it was the only one that's easy to swallow because you could argue what's easy to swallow. Uh, but you held the two pills in your hands, and it's like, well. That Tylenol, that Aleve, that Advil is bigger than my Nuprin. Now, again, whatever happened to Nuprin is a is a, for another day. But uh, yeah, somebody bought it and killed it. But uh, I'm just talking about it. Doesn't have to be some dramatic difference. You can make a difference about almost anything. And if you are, as you said, the first or the only you still almost want to work overtime to drill home the the factors of difference and why us. Yeah, sure. Because, well, first it will be uh, fleeting. You know, you okay, you were the first. That's great. Uh, the, an, the annals of branding are filled with stories of the second brand being the dominant player now. So just because you invented the category, you know, doesn't make you the all-time great. Um, and then the, the first and only, you know, again, you will not be the only for very long now. So somebody will either try to emulate, copy, encroach, you know, whatever they will. But, uh, so yeah, you, even, even when you're the first and only, which is a great place to be, you still have to figure out what this advantage is, what this first, uh, difference can be. And, and then I, I must always add, it's not only different, but it's meaningful and it's relevant to the customer. You know, it makes some difference to them. I was going to say, when you're working with clients and brands to extract this part of the exercise, right, faster, cheaper, better, we're building a better mousetrap, you still have to go further down that path. Uh, does it usually come down to how can we distill the feeling or experience that the buyer is receiving? Yeah, and the, the experience is a big part of it. Uh, for example, I think a couple of years ago about a meeting we had, uh, and this goes back to my uh, biotech uh, clients, but we had a, a meeting of patients. And it was like, 
hey, your pill is good. Uh, it looks good. It, the, the data looks good. You know, but uh, what kind of packaging are you going to have? And the clients were kind of like, well, that's an interesting question. What difference does that make? And they were like, yeah. And they were like, well, if you could have this, uh, you know, in a uh, blister pack where it, you know, punched out, I could carry it in my pocket and I could take it with me or, you know, what have you. And it would have the the days of the week printed on the back instead of me having to put it in my pill holder. I mean, they were, I mean, all of a sudden they started brainstorming on packaging and it was like, well, now all of a sudden, look, a new difference just emerged. How your pill was different and how the data was different and how efficacy and safety and all of that good stuff, it might have been equal. But what if your packaging took you over the top? What an interesting aha moment. Uh, And they were like, well, that decision was made. The patients just told us how to package it. And uh, let's get it on. And is that what came to market? That's what's coming to market. Not not on market yet, but coming. Yeah. It's it's amazing that through open-mindedness and not just saying, okay, just get it out there. It's fine. We'll do it how it's always been done. Yes. You find that as a roadblock? Like, oh, we'll just do it how, how, how they do it. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's there's seven steps to getting this product developed and approved and manufactured and shipped and out in the supply chain and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah. And there's a lot of times uh, when not knowing what those steps to market are and being naive uh also entrepreneurs can get tripped up in it's like well don't forget there are three regulatory steps that if you don't take these steps you know you will not have a brand it's like whoa that's an eye-opening discussion i you know glad we had you come by so you wrote this book at the time of this recording um a couple of months old how a how is it going? Well, let's start there. How is it going with the release? Well, it's going well. The uh, Amazon has a uh, tracking of just new releases. So it, it came out, it was number 47 uh, on the chart of new releases. And you think of like, I don't know, what are there, 4 billion books on Amazon? So, know. You know, <laughs> it's not terrible. You know, stat. 40. 47 on, in, uh, in our business, you know, consulting category, you know, you're pretty pleased with. But uh, it's going well. And I think as anything, it's, it's prompting discussions like we're having. That's, it's given me a chance to reconnect with some old clients that, hey, we have a great relationship and we can pick right back up where we left off. That's terrific. It's given me a chance to kind of revisit some old case studies to say, uh, oh, if that's how we did it, would we do it again the same or would we do it differently? Uh, it's also given me a chance to reflect on the relationships that might have been the ones that didn't go so well uh, and the ones that, you know, could have been improved. And uh, like you were asking, what was it like growing up? It's sort of like, well, what was it like growing up and starting a business and, you know, running your career and so forth? Would you have liked to said things differently in a meeting than you said them? Uh, would you like to have treated a client better than you treated them? So forth and so on. So that it's it's going well from that regard. What was the uh, purpose when you had the thought to, to write the book? You know, the, it evolved, and I'll tell you, uh, much like our conversation here, but it, it started as, look, I want to get this, uh, this model published. 
you know, and uh, it's a reputation book and people are going to love to read my model and think it's really cool that it's in a book. Um, and maybe if it sells some copies, but I could hand some out and people would think it was wonderful. Then it evolved to what, like you were asking, well, what's the basis of this model and what were the relationships? And then I'll say I added at the very end, I added that subhead and the lessons I learned from them. So it became not just a model book, a recitation of, you know, here's how to, not a how-to book. It's not a self-help business book. It also became a reflection Hmm. book on the lessons I learned. And uh, I just felt like if I could be more open about those wins and losses, um, it would be rather cathartic for me, for one. But wouldn't it be a much more honest and authentic story to say that this is these four elements, yes, they'll help you in your business, but there's some real lessons and people lessons that you can learn from them, as I did. Yeah, that's amazing. Looking back on this time we've spent here and 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 then some, what is the core message you like to teach? The core message is that this idea of the company name Bioscience Bridge and all the things that go with that. But there is a biological basis, you know, for even brands because they are emotional. They're, they're, uh, the messages might get into your brain, but the way you process them, you know, and then there's a science of relationship building. Everything we talked about, about how relationships are energized you know, that they're catabolized, they're, mes- <laughs> you know, they're, they're metabolized. Um, so I think the, the message is that chemistry is an energy and you've got to create that energy both personally and as a brand to get people uh, energized about you, your business, your brand, and the relationships that you can build between the people. And what you're talking about is that second portion that I read earlier about uh, customer chemistry can be gauged by the laws of thermodynamics because they are created with energy and they release energy. Yes. There's a, there's a flow, you know, and you think about you're getting energy, the customers, the clients are getting energy, and together, look at what's being built. And you know how, look, we all know people, they walk into the room and you say, there's a presence just by them walking in the room, you know, and sometimes let's say you go to your favorite electronic store or you're shopping at the grocery store for your favorite brand. And you, the closer you get, the more excited you get, you know, <laughs> that's so personally, business wise, branding wise, you want to carry that energy. And I think what I was trying to share in the book, and you asked the main message, what I bring to my clients and my workshops, is that energy. Uh, and, and that there are elements to create it. It I might come natural. Yeah, it they might come it. natural to you. Right. But it's like, okay, if you're a salesperson, you don't come in selling. And that's what that C and connect. You come in connecting, you're asking, you're listening. You're observing all the things we talked about. And then you say, look, I'm not just here to sell you a product. Let's be honest about what's going on. What are your problems? What are your issues? 
You know, what, what did we do right in our previous relationship? How can we correct what we did wrong? So let's have some honest dialogue. And then let's make it easy. And you were talking about the experience. Is it easy to understand? Is it easy to work with? You know, how many times these days are we calling the customer service department? Press one, press two, press three. Sorry, all agents are busy. Stay on hold. I mean, even the poor people right now who are trying to get unemployment Hmm. because of the pandemic, you know, they're calling the unemployment office and staying on hold for days. This is not a positive brand experience. You know, so let, we can learn from that. And then finally, that M is to motivate. I don't want to be convinced. I don't want to be sold. I don't want to be cajoled. I don't want to be forced to do anything. I want to feel motivated to take action. And when a business relationship is like that, when a client relationship is like that, when you're motivated to move forward, it's just going to be a lot better. This has been extraordinary. I feel like I could talk to you all day. Thank you for- It's fun stuff. Yeah. It, it, who knew, right? Because it's like, there, there's such a scientific edge to it that it's like, uh, I don't know. But no, you make it extremely fun. And thanks for pointing it out like that. I will leave you with the final question I ask of all my guests. Mark Stinson, how would you like to be remembered? That's one of those what's on your tombstone kind of questions, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think even if it's how do you like to be remembered after a great workshop or how do you want to be remembered after a book, let alone at the end of your life. But uh, I, I think it is that he, Mark Stinson, helped us think more creatively, break down barriers, and have more fun. If I can remember, be remembered for those things, that'd be a good day. Wow. And this has certainly been a great day with you, Mark. So again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for showing up and opening up like you did. Really appreciate having you. It was a lot Thank of fun. you, Josh. It was great being with you. Appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody tuning in. You know, I greatly enjoy your reviews. So please keep them coming, whether you're listening to this on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows from. Tell a friend. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, thanks so much for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.